Hello, my friends. Welcome to The Great Crino Show. Welcome, everybody, to episode 16 of The Great Crino Show, where we talk to experts and people with unique experiences so we can learn about them and learn from them and apply those lessons to our lives and in today's episode, we have our first dual guest, our first person who's been on the show twice. So if you remember, Dr. Kaleem Rayburn from episode number one, and now she's on episode sweet 16. So Kaleem, welcome to the show again. How are you? I'm good. I love it. Sweet 16. That's, yeah. That's perfect. It's perfect lead in for this, for this conversation. So here we are at the end of 2020, and we're at the end of the first semester of the year, and um, a lot's been going on. So um, last night we hung out and we watched a Zoom call with your students who were pursuing their Master's of Teaching credential mm-hmm. and Administrator credentials as well. Correct. And everybody was happy and having uh, drinks, and we had music, we had Mike Moody, uh, my my favorite uh, my favorite guy who's gonna be playing at my wedding. So that's that's it was cool to see him. And we also had Drew Cole. So folks, if you haven't seen them, um, highly recommend that you you look them up. Are they, are they on YouTube? Uh, yes, and Spotify. So there's Drew Cole, and then there was Mike's new band, Max Saturn. Max Saturn. So we had them playing on Zoom, and we had Kaleem's students. So um, so what was the celebration about? What was uh, what was going on? You guys were celebrating the end of their their. I guess their credential, right? Or was that just the end of the semester? What were we looking at? Because it seemed fun and everybody was very happy. So I want to describe that for the audience. All right. So, well, you almost did a good job, 100%. Oh, thank right? you. I would say 90%. <laughs> uh, so last night, I just wanted to honor, um, you know, I, I taught four classes this fall, at, you know, in USC. And two of those classes were for last final semester student teachers who were pursuing their master's in teaching, as well as their credential to serve as elementary school teachers. So it was their final semester, uh, which means their first semester of student teaching happened in the spring of 2020 when COVID hit and they went from working in the classrooms to going right online. And there was just, it was very nebulous of what to do, how to do it. So... I really took an opportunity to utilize my expertise in creating online content and prepare my student teachers to distinguish themselves in the job market as a teacher, that whether it's in a classroom, bricks and mortar classroom or online, they know how to differentiate between the two and create very hands-on, relevant and engaging content. So you had my students who, this would have been their graduation would have happened at USC this December. But as we know, hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll happen in May of 2021. So you had two of those sections were in that room. And then the large majority were all pursuing their administrative credential at USC in our school leadership academy. So they're aspiring administrators, veteran educators. So the celebration is just to acknowledge that what they have gone through since starting school in August when we started and we all first met, that their challenges, the hurdles, a lot of them experienced loss, whether it was death or illness, 
There were also uh, separations. I mean, a lot of personal hurdles that they've had to overcome while being 110% present for their students. I wanted to say this is how we honor it, that it doesn't come in the form of money. It doesn't come in the form of that good job. It just comes in the form of it was recognized that you were going above and beyond the call of duty. And in my former administrative role, this is how I want to honor them. And that was by utilizing my network of very talented people, as you said, Mike Moody coming in, bringing uh, his new bandmates, Max Saturn, and they were all currently in the studio in Detroit, Michigan, uh, bringing in Drew Cole, if you recall, he was on The Voice. The Voice, The yeah. Voice, yes, Team Adam Levine. Uh, Drew Cole, who's, uh, you know, right now he's in Florida, also creatively making it work out there since uh, everything here in L.A. is closed. And then we can't forget, uh, you know, my sister there, Julia Gabor, who's the founder of Kid Grit, who created a curriculum around grit and around mindfulness and how her company had to pivot during all this. And now she's working with adults and supporting uh, adults and, and educators in their own mindfulness because they are sitting here in, in Zoom all day, every day, and how are they taking care and balancing their priorities. So I brought her in because, as we know, when we end a semester, and for a lot of the people in that room, they have another week to go before winter break. We have winter break coming up. So how is everyone going to unplug and check in with their people, with their family, with their priorities as we gear up and think about January 2021 when it's very well known that not much is going to change. We're going back into the situation but let's go back into it being refreshed and ready for this next semester. Well, it seems like the first semester, well, really the first semester of last year. So I guess I should say spring of last year was mm -hmm. the first semester of COVID where everybody was caught by surprise in March and April. So we can't really count that one. That was more of the shock summer. There mm -hmm. probably wasn't as much learning going on because people were trying to, uh, you know, enjoy their summers. And then it seems like this fall was the first real semester of COVID. So what have people been doing? What, where were they in the beginning of the semester with what they thought was effective teaching techniques? And what did they create during that process? Like, what have you found out that works? What have you found out that doesn't work? And is, how is that, how does that differ between age groups? Because I know I saw the video of the first grade classroom. Mm -hmm. And you showed me a first grade classroom. You showed me a higher socioeconomic class, a lower socioeconomic class, some of the challenges and how the kids were behaving. You showed me a, I think you might've shown me a high school, maybe even a university level class as well. So what have you seen that, what are the challenges and what, what has worked? What have people created along the way? Have you noticed any different techniques that have bubbled to the surface where you're like, oh, that's pretty good or that's not good. Right. And I also showed you California classrooms, those yeah. that are online and then those that are in person with masks. And then I showed that's you true. Florida yeah. and I showed you Washington, D.C. Yeah, you did because we had a camera in mm -hmm. one classroom mm -hmm. whereas an in-person classroom. So we did like a little broad brush or a broad uh, review of, of the educational system is really interesting. Right. So and what has worked and what has not worked and what have people learned? Right. And I, I got to say, I really w loved watching your face when your, your expression, when you saw the difference in yeah. everything happened across the country. And would you agree that there was not a single one size fits all approach to it? I would agree with that. Definitely. Right. Oh, definitely. I mean, there were some of those in-person classrooms. I was like, 
man, the teacher has her mask down by her chin, but she kind of has to because the kids need to see her face at times. So it was just very, it seemed very haphazard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, go ahead. What do you, what do you think? Right. So, you know, I had a total of 70 students this fall. And I always like to say that when you choose to go to a school like USC, you're choosing faculty that are going to really respond to the individual student. And that's what I did. I had to make sure I took an inventory of every individual student that I had in my class. So for my student teachers, I was very mindful that they are not just in one school district. I needed to know what every school district that they were coming from, whether it was in California, if it was in Florida, Washington, D.C., Northern California, Southern California. I wanted to model how we differentiate. I wanted to model how we individualize and respond and adapt to a student in a classroom. So I was modeling that for my student teachers. So if I have a class of nine student teachers who are coming from different school districts across the country, I'm going to ask them from everything from what is the math textbook they're using? What is the science textbook? What does the daily schedule look like? How many hours are they with their students? What is the platform that they're using? Are they using Zoom, WebEx, Google Meets? Taking all that in and and showing that there's really trying to say that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to it. So what can we do with what we have? And what I wanted to, to get across to them is that you don't need to bring in a bunch of tech resources. What you do need to bring in is you and your energy and your love of whatever environment that you have in front of you, because we have students that are going to come in and see us. And if we show any sense of insecurity or any sense of exhaustion or or burnout, then we're going to lose them real fast. So from that approach is looking at how they were planning their lessons. And I recognize that some of them were in with guiding teachers that their districts really didn't provide a whole lot of professional development and how to create very focused online lessons. What you do in a bricks and mortar classroom is not the same as what you do online. And when I could, when I learned, you know, for example, there was one that they were teaching seven different subjects in a second grade classroom within three hours. I can't even do that. Right. I can't learn that. Right. And you were what you saw on the screen is you saw these little buddies. You see them moving. You see them. Their feet are up in there. They're all over. So what does that say about a child's stamina when they're in front of a camera? Yeah, they don't have any. So then I want to I want to bring it home. I want to bring it home to the individual. And I and just I think I want to say I shared this in the first podcast. Let's talk about when we watched cartoons when we were kids, when we were that age, when we were little six-year-olds and seven-year-olds, five-year-olds, right? I had, a, I had a transitional kindergarten student teacher. What worked when we watched those? High energy, our changes in voice. We were, you know, when, when we had, we went through Halloween. So I had to model a witchy voice. And I had to, my student teachers practice their witchy voice, practice their animated character voice. Wow, so kids will respond <laughs> based on... That'd be tough. It'd be tough for some people to do that. Right. Yeah, it'd be hard to change. Here I am changing my voice right now just because you told me to. I'm like, hey, hey, I need to change my voice more. Right. People will listen to me. Okay. 
There's well, when you had library time, right? When yeah. you were a little kid, when you're in the library and the librarian was reading a book, were they not changing their voice? And you and you were just grasping onto every word that that librarian was was reading because <gasps> what's going to happen next? It's almost like it matters how you teach as much as what you teach. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How how you deliver the message. Yes as much as what that message is, especially for young kids. Yes. And so if you're just focused on the information, you're missing half of the teaching experience. We really talking about the power of the thumb. Thumbs up if you agree. Thumbs down if you disagree. Mm-hmm. And making sure that that's what you're going to use in your classroom from little five-year-olds to your sixth graders, that that's what you use every single time. It's consistent. You're not adding anything else. We're going to just focus on this routine of thumbs up if you can hear me, thumbs up if you can agree. Thumb, that thumb is your, your, your pull mm-hmm. and use nothing else. Is that in person and online or do you find that, are, are you saying that we need to have d- gestures for online teaching? Do we need to have more specific instructions for that? Or are you saying in general it's good to have different ways of visualizing the learning experience. Well, we call that total physical response, TPR. Okay, so that, that, but that can apply online or in person. Absolutely. Okay, okay. So let's say the school that has been online all fall semester, their district is now preparing them to go um, you know, hybrid or in person. That can transfer, right? So staying consistent with what you decide, staying focused on that, that routine. Because that's the other challenge that some of them may face is that we have a student population now that has been removed from the classroom environment since March 2020. That you have to be very uh, considerate that they have not been in the classroom amongst friends where the behaviors and the expectations and the classroom norms are established. That it may be a little crazy in the beginning. So it sounds like the the, um, I, I guess sort of the answer to what I was asking earlier about what has worked and what has not worked. It's, it's still what, still what works is the, the inflections in the voice, the physical responses, the engagement on that level. It still matters whether it's online or in person. It's just that online you need to be, find a more tactical way of conveying it, or you need to find out what transfers online. So just take your normal in-person learning experience see what works, what can be done online, continue that, and then find the things that maybe don't work so well and then find new ways to do them. Right. Okay. Yes, because I think there was a, such a trepidation that the, that my students felt like they had to talk the entire time because they were afraid to unmute and what could happen. And that, to me, was that we need to work on an experiment with specific routines to engage your students. So how do we create those specific routines? I would say that it was really rewarding to hear that when we do these exit interviews, that their guiding teacher would say, I learned so much from my student teacher, never thought. I couldn't do it without them. Because what we're able to focus on through their student teaching experience in our time together is focusing on that, the right pedagogy, the right routines, the right ways of learning in this environment that they can now take with them when they're working with their guiding teacher who's trying to make sense of what this all looks like with what their district expects of them. So it was, it was eye-opening to see that there's still talk of testing and assessment. And I thought, 
you're not going to get a very valid results when there's no consistency happening. And I just thought this is really going to be hard on teachers when the assessments aren't going to be coming out the way they would want them, but we, we can't put them down for that because this is not their fault. So why can't we just put assessments aside for the year? So and let's just keep kids engaged with learning and thinking and, and producing their learning, producing what they're reading, producing what, um, they're studying, but that's creatively based. So the student teachers were, um, were they the ones that were in your class that I saw? Mm-hmm. They were there last They're night. the student teachers. They were student teachers, correct. Okay. And then they, they were matched up with guiding I, teachers? No, I brought in my other class. I, that was a different, I brought one in my class of administrators. So they've never met. That was oh, a. That oh, was yeah, a you, com- you combined them together. I combined everybody last night. Okay, I was wondering that because I yeah. you were you were having people you were introducing people that were seemed like they knew really what they were doing and and I thought okay I thought you were teaching them but they were the guiding teacher and then you had the student teachers who were also in on the call. The guiding teachers were not there. No, no, I had my student oh. teachers for my Tuesday night class and my Thursday night class, and then okay. I had my administrative students for my Wednesday night class. Okay. All three, none of them had ever been together. Oh. I brought them all for one large celebration. Oh, okay. okay. And utilizing the ones who were in my administrative class, asking them to share some morsels of wisdom. Yeah. You know, what yeah. should we prepare for? And I thought the words that they shared were so kind because student teachers are wondering, am I in the right profession? And am I doing this right? And they have that imposter feeling like, am I ready to enter this? And what they all shared was to really balance your time, balance your priorities, uh, be kind to yourself, know that you're going to make mistakes and that it will come with every time you practice and deliver every school year, you'll get better and better. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought a couple of them had good, had good statements. Number one, the one uh, lady had said, don't compare yourself to people who've been doing this for a long time. Correct which that can apply to anything because mm-hmm. um, I think we, we tend to do that. We tend to look at people who are experts in something and we go, wow, they, they, they got it. I'm so far away from that. And it becomes frustrating. And the, the lady had said, just look, after a while, you're going to get this. Sometimes time is the answer and you can't really teach the time. You just got to put in the effort, do it. And then over the course of time, you're going to pick up these skills. So that was just refreshing um, to hear somebody say that because I think we can, a lot of us can get um, frustrated and quit too early. So the process, it's all a process. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good process. Trust the process, put in the time and eventually you will um, hit that level where you can magically come up with, with um, teaching skills or, um, games or, um, um, I don't know, uh, just lessons that can, that can, you know, be thought of on the fly and that are really good. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so yeah. So, uh, what else? Where were we? You got a list there. You, I like you come prepared. See, <laughs> this is what people need to know about you is that I come to interview you and you start coming up with the, with the lesson plan. And I'm like, Oh, I can just sit back here and relax. So, oh, geez. <laughs> well, I, I think what we were, we were talking about, um, what, what, what worked where I had a lot of fun with this yeah. semester is 
that with all the news that's happening and it's all been pandemic related, it's all been, you know, the economic related, gosh, we had a presidential election, you know, a lot of it was, there was just a lot of stress going on that I really wanted to bring attention to something else that was happening in our country is, you know, we have a space force now and SpaceX. Yeah. There are these launches happening. I love, we talked about space last time. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it again this time. Actually, you know what? I'll do a little sidebar here. I was flying out of uh, Orlando uh, maybe a month ago, and we were in the bus going to the airport, and it was at night. It was a late night uh, takeoff. And uh, the captain I was with it goes, oh, man, there's going to be a SpaceX launch in like two minutes, and he's watching it on his phone. As, and so we're about a 15-minute drive from the airport. And I'm like, well, we should be able to see the launch. Like, what direction is it from? He's like, well, it should be like east of us, and that's over there near Cape Canaveral. So he was, oh, it should be like right in front of us. And no kidding, um, right when the launch went off on his phone, we could see the the rocket go up at night. You could see the the orange plume go up, and we watched this rocket go up into space as we were driving to the airport. So it was just perfect timing. But it was exciting. Kind of and- brought me back to when I was a kid. Thank you. Yeah. Brought you back to New York. I was saying, like, how did you feel? Like, could you just, did you feel little Greg come out? Like, what yeah. was little, when did you know that you were about aerospace, about flight? About, when did that, when did you make that connection with yourself? Well, I've told people many times, I think the first time I saw it was on a, in a movie and on Star Wars. But yeah, it was just the, uh, the, the space shuttle growing up. I mean, every time I saw it on TV, I was just fascinated by it. So yeah, I'd say that was the time. Um, but it does. It brings you back and it, it, it makes you um, have a sense of wonder again. And I think that's what drives learning is really that sense of wonder. You're wondering what causes that thing or what, what uh, it takes to create that thing. And you're wondering where that thing will take you, whatever it is. So it's that sense of wonder. And I think that's what's beautiful about, about space in general. When did you want to be a pilot? How old were you? I was probably... Five. I mean, it was probably one of my earliest memories. It was. Okay. It was very early. I can't even. It's like asking somebody when you know. When, <laughs> I don't know when. When did you first realize you were a? I don't know, a, a boy or something. It's like I was just new. But um, did you? <laughs> that's, <laughs> a did. Different topic. Like, that's a different we topic. Not, we I did. not go there. I know it's a bad analogy, <laughs> but it's the point being that it's just I don't remember ever not wanting to to go into space or be a pilot. It's just, it was always with me. Okay. So it wasn't a particular moment, but I can put it back to when I probably first saw an airplane or which is just very early in my life. So, but yeah, the, the space launch, uh, brings that back. Um, and it, uh, I think it makes you want to get into learning, but you were talking about SpaceX here in California. Right. So right. that's well, exciting. Well, I'm, I'm taking it back to when I asked you how old you were, yeah. five years old as a former kindergarten teacher, that question is pretty universal almost almost in every grade level. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I wanted to be an astro I wanted to be an architect. And then I wanted to be an astronaut because I was homesick in 1986 when the Challenger went up. And we know that Krista McAuliffe was on there and she wanted to she was the first teacher to go up to space. So then that led me into wanting to be a teacher. So I wanted to be an architect, an astronaut, and a teacher. So I had those three professions on my mind throughout my entire uh, educational journey. Well, let's back up a little bit. So you said architect. Right. That was first. Mm-hmm. Why architect? 
because my dad wanted to be one, and uh, I pursued it up until you know I was the only female in my class in high school. I, I took actually I took drafting class throughout middle school. That's when we had drafting in middle school as an elective, and then I took architectural design my freshman, sophomore, junior year, and then math got in the way. Math completely derailed me, thinking I didn't belong to be an architect because I math you struggled was too, a bit with math, right? Yeah. yeah, but no one jumped in and said. Let's get her through this because she wants to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I mean, that's that. It's almost like that journey ended right there. You know, that's too bad. And that's what I. That was part of the conversations I would have with my student teachers this semester. So you had a you had a, a you had something you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. There was a stumbling block, mm-hmm. and maybe that stumbling block turned into a bit of a wall, right? Which caused you to not pursue that. Uh, any longer, right? So when you, unless you have that, that the you know the parents who are already architects that are going to get you through it and persevere, help you get through that wall. Right? But when you're a first generation college student, you know you're navigating a m- much of moving parts to prepare you for university life, right? So the so thinking of the five year old Greg who wants to be a pilot, there's the five year old Kaleem who wants to be an architect, who would later want to be an astronaut. Is I would ask my student teachers this semester. What did they want to be when they grew up? And they would list everything from there was pilot, there was chef. One of them said mommy, right? All these different careers. And then I asked them, you know, did did you take any inventory of your current students? And all of them from that TK to the fifth grade classrooms, all of them knew what their students wanted to be. So to take their mind off of all the current events happening. Let's talk about SpaceX because we had this launch happening where they were going to the International Space Station and a very diverse uh, group of pilots that were going to be on this launch, one being Victor Glover, African-American, going up, first time going to the International Station, right, that travel, but from our backyard here in California. So I would ask questions of my student teachers, who are the gatekeepers? Who helps nurture what kids want to be when they grow up? Who helps keep it on their radar? That love. Why are they learning all these different content areas? Math, science, English language arts, reading and writing. What are all those content areas? What are they working towards? And so if we can apply it and make it relevant to what they want to be when we grow up, will have their attention. And so that was very apparent when I encouraged them to take those professions and let's engage the students in this online learning environment and let's just focus on something like a SpaceX launch. I had my student teachers who only two of them out of the 18 actually watched the launch. Oh, that's too bad. Why, why was it not out there? We know that yeah. there's certain people who have this interest in space travel or they have this part of them that is just like the way we felt when we saw it. Like, oh, I was that little kid again. Only two of them. And then I asked, did any of your classrooms talk about it? Why not? So let's take a, let's pause and let's just watch SpaceX. Let's watch it from, some of you wanted to be reporters and journalists. You have students who want to be reporters and journalists. Let's, let me show you the space that's launched, the airing of it. And I had cut and spliced all these different segments of it because it was a four hours long. But I wanted to make it a point to see that all of these professions that your students want to be were all right here in the SpaceX launch. 
from the opening of the broadcast, you have an all-female panel, female astronaut, the female for uh, uh, media relations for NASA, and then there was the lead, a NASA reporter, talking about all the events that were happening from saying goodbye to families, to the, the, the meal that they got to request, to the security detail, to the entire process of going from suiting up into going to the, um, the actual, to the rocket for the launch. I would then fast forward it to choosing meals. What do those astronauts want to eat their, their, their meal before they go? And you would hear these very culinary, you know, took a chef extraordinaire to create these meals. And for my student teachers, they go, I thought they had to already start eating that, the healthy stuff. They didn't know that there was going to be uh, filet mignon or salmon or, you know, chicken, teriyaki, like everyone had these specific meals. The creation of the spacesuit and what it looked like, the engineering behind it. So it was eye-opening for my students and teachers to think that the power of just a little clip or even just a picture led to so much conversation behind details. And they couldn't help but think of their students who would just glue to their screen with their teacher to be able to talk about that. Well, that, and that's a fantastic lesson there is that you can take one big event that happens to capture the attention of your students. And then from there, you can leap off and have a springboard into other lessons and you can bring everybody in there. So if somebody wants to be a chef and the thing that is capturing everybody's attention right now is a space launch. That might seem like two very different things. And you might think, well, the poor kid who wants to be a chef is just going to have to sit back and watch stuff about science and space. But you didn't do that. You're saying, no, you can link in the kid who wants to be a chef. Everybody has to eat. Astronauts have to eat. So let's talk about what they need to, to eat. And you could even go further from that. If there's a kid who looks like or who, who might want to be an entrepreneur, you could say, well, SpaceX is a private, mostly private uh, company. It's a business. He had to generate investors. He had to, gen Elon Musk I'm talking about, had to generate investment. He had to organize people. He had to, there's a CEO involved. So you, you can use that event that's capturing your students' attention and then uh, use that as sort of like the hub and then go off on spokes of learning for different subjects. Absolutely. So, Yeah. From learning of what the astronauts wanted to eat, why wouldn't that aspiring chef, that fourth grader who's just completely just turned off by everything that's happening, why could we not encourage them to continue to research other eating habits of athletes? You know, really dive into the culinary aspect of, of learning. And it, it might not just be one student. You may have a group of students in this class of 30 on your online environment. There may be five students, for example, that want to study uh, the eating habits of, of I don't know, I would say um, astronauts or any, athletes, any, yeah, anybody, anybody. Anybody doing some extraordinary event. Right. You are now leading it into a research project. Yeah, yeah. And, and that goes into science as well. I mean, it's, I think that's, that's really what, um, what, what is fascinating is that everything that we have in life is a confluence of many different aspects of, of the economy. Like 
you can't have a, a space launch without business people. You can't have a space launch without engineers and academics. You can't have a space launch without apparently good cooks and chefs. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, diet's very, very important. I mean, as a, as a, as a pilot myself, I know I need to watch my, my diet when right. I, especially when I'm going on a, a long, a long mission. I mean, I've, I've been cooped up in a little a 10 for 10 hours and diet's extremely important. Hydration is extremely important. Yeah. And while I'm not having a chef cook my meals, I, I, I need nutrition advice and we would do that. So it's right. a good way also, I think, to bring people into a, a community as well, make people feel a part of that. I think it's, we look at education almost like it's these stovepipes when it's not, it's more of a big stew. I mean, it takes a lot of people to, to create these things. So we call that just interdisciplinary, yeah. right? We're combining the, the, the disciplines. And one of my favorite best practices is project-based learning. So I was leading my student teachers towards project-based learning. And how do you focus on one essential question? And then you help facilitate your students into thinking about their role in this project. And then who's to say you can't, you know, I, I was telling my student teachers that you can go to one of them. She was actually in Fremont, where where uh, Tesla is is based. I said, "Why would you not reach out to somebody, an engineer there, and have them become a guest speaker into your online environment?" What's the worst thing that they would say? They would do say say no, but at least you know you tried. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of employees, and they would love to come in and speak to students. There are a lot of people who want an opportunity to mentor. It's something different, and people love to talk about their expertise. Right. So she's like, I never thought about that. This is the opportunity to bring in guest speakers, really meet people who are, who are doing this work. Um, and I think at this point, a lot of people want to help our kids because we know that we have another half of the academic year to think about that. We're going to have to be more creative in our instruction because we need, we, we have a lot of, um, I think we're hearing it more and more, what this is causing, how this is affecting our students who just don't want to tune in anymore. Well, that's, yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard part is dealing with the, the depression and the, some of the disciplinary problems. And we're really, I think the depression is probably the biggest one. Have you seen any problems there? Have, how have, te- how have teachers been dealing with students who are getting disengaged and, um, I mean, is there any help? <laughs> is it just like, or we just got to wait for COVID to be over? And I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of these are policy decisions that need to be made. It's not, it's kind of out of the realm of the teacher, but are there ways that teachers can mitigate some of the social, um, some of the anxiety problems? Well, I think that's where we were, were having Julia come in and talk about Kid Grit. She's just did a phenomenal job of... Kid Grit. Is, Kid Grit. Can you explain Kid Grit? Okay. Well, we can, we can, what's her name again? Julia Gabor. Julia Gabor, Kid Grit. Okay. Yes. And her mindfulness curriculum. uh, But it's about students who live in these adverse situations and how do they take the adverse life, the, the situations that, um, the inequities, the the economic status of their life, uh, difficult situations and turn them into ways to make them stronger. Okay. Right. Is she is she teaching this to kids or to parents? She's teaching it to educators. To educators. She, it's her company. Kid Grit okay. is a company. Kid Grit. We'll have to have 
a discussion with her then. Yes, and she was last night. She was yeah, yeah. yeah right. I talked to her for right. a couple minutes. And when um, that wasn't a top priority at the time for professional development, she had to pivot her company. Now she's supporting educators, the adults. Yeah. And the adverse situation and what they are teaching in, and to be mindful of their actions and their and their balancing of their priorities, uh, so that they could be present for their students and then present for their own home life. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I've actually got the website up right now. So it's kid-grit.com. So kidgrit.com. Um, let's see, straight from the website here, it says mission. We're an innovative, soul-driven personal development and professional training company. The purpose is, says we exist to equip educators and students to connect with themselves and others through mindfulness and social emotional resources. And their vision is we see a tribe of passionate educators who are connected to their why, serving communities of engaged students who let their voices be heard. So, yeah, interesting, kidgrit.com. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, that's what I'm seeing is sort of the biggest problem right now from what I've heard from parents is just some kids are just having a hard time. You know, they're, I've, I flew with a captain who has a 12-year-old and she's just she's exhibiting um, symptoms of, of depression. She just doesn't want to do her work. She just doesn't have the energy, and it's tough. So we've had this one semester where I think we've we've learned sort of what works and what doesn't, but we have a whole other semester to go. So there's um, another few months I think before we're gonna get through get through this. Yes, we we so. you know we did a lot of uh, work with my student teachers too about their system for welcoming students into the online environment that, you know, how many of them were just jumping right into teaching and learning. And it's like, that's completely missing the point. And a lot of them chose their problem of practice on social emotional learning. And that is, that begins with the moment that student enters the online environment. What are they expected to do? How are you greeting them? How are you setting the stage for what they're going to do next? How are you listening to every single voice? Because if they're in a household where there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people who have places to be, that student can go completely unnoticed. How are you as their teacher noticing them and hearing their voice? What kind of activities are you creating? We have to invest that first 20 minutes of creating that social-emotional circle that says, I hear you, I see you, and I'm just so happy you're here. Well, and that's another good point is throughout this whole conversation, I just want to summarize a little bit of it because it's, um, it, it is going a specific direction here with this is that in the beginning you asked me like what inspired me to become a pilot. Mm-hmm. And I said that it was, I, I don't know, it had been in me for a long time, but it's probably something that I saw. Then we went into SpaceX, which you said, okay, that was that's, that can be an inspiring thing. But then you said, with that thing, we can now springboard and, and include everybody else in this um, in this learning experience. It doesn't have to be just the people who want to be astronauts. We can talk about the chef. We can talk about the kid who wants to go into business. We can find a way to include everybody. And then we went into the kid grit, which says we need to focus on the social emotional aspect of learning. And I think that's sort of the answer of where this is going. So we've had this big disruption of COVID where we don't know how to teach at all. And then we jump into the online environment because that's what we're forced to do. And then it seems like teachers have just jumped straight into 
the, the learning process that existed before, just thinking, okay, I can just do the same thing. Now it's just online. But you're saying, well, no, that's not true. We need to actually not just focus on what we're teaching. We need to focus on how we're teaching. And in order to do that, we need to have this more emotional connection. We need to include people. We need to um, get people's minds correct first. So that's probably the biggest lesson out of all, this, all of all, out of all this is that we need to get people's mental and emotional states. We need to focus more on that. And we can't just jump right into the, the subject matter, although we need to teach the subject matter as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson. Right. And how you teach that subject matter. You know, there yeah. is still conversations about standardized testing, as I brought up earlier, and grading. Well, gosh, is there a way that we can assess students based on a very authentic uh, delivery of what they're learning? Right. What, what do you so, mean by uh, so, authentic delivery of what they're learning? The student who wants to be a chef, he's going to be a culinary artist, he's going to work at NASA, he's going to feed the astronauts. Is there a way to assess his research, her or her research, what she would prepare, how she could prepare for an interview to to cook at NASA? What does that look like? What are the nutritional value? Now we you hear math coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, can you assess that? Just like you would go in front of Shark Tank, right? You're going to pitch what you're going to do. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a very relevant way to assess a student's ability to show their learning? Yeah. How, how would you? Because now we're, we assess based on testing. Yes. Um, how, would, how would you test something like, like that? Would you have like a board of teachers at the school that graded how a student conducted themselves in an interview? Would you, would you do mock interviews and then have a scoring system based on that? I mean, how, Absolutely mock okay. interviews. How fun would that be? That'd be great. How empowering. I, would, I could have really used a help with that in high school. I remember my first interview in a, at a congressman's office to get into the Air Force Academy, and I was just, I look back on that, I'm like, oh, what an embarrassment. Right. And, if you, and if you can't, <laughs> and let's say you can't write it, right? You're, yeah. Writing is a challenge. Why can't you draw it? Why couldn't you not go in front of a camera, your own little camera, and post it like on a flip grid, which is one, which is a very major resource that a lot of teachers are using, and, and just talk about it. So uh, even for the for the little buddies, for like the little TKs and the kindergartners, when they the student teacher did a design your spacesuit, it was precious. The spacesuits and what they would have on their spacesuit, and they drew these pictures, and it was very detailed. So what you have now is a little five year old who drew their spacesuit and what they would wear, what it would feel like. You've now really supported them in details that will transfer into their writing skills. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that standardized testing is done because it's, it's easy. I think it's necessary. You have to have an objective way to measure people, like what percentage of the test did you get correct or incorrect. There, there needs to be that. Mm-hmm. But there should also be another way to measure people's skills because out of school you need to have multiple skills more than just reading and writing you need to be able to communicate you need to be able to conduct yourself in a certain way in an interview and there should be more room to test on on those things now I don't know how that would translate from you know from high school to the university like if a university is looking at high school students at multiple high schools how do they know that all those high schools are grading those mock interviews the same way. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. What, um, what did your, well, let's think about the standardized tests happen, you know, end of the year. Yeah. 
When are you measured on your skill sets? Usually the end of the year. Your skills, your skills, your ability oh, to present in life. Yes, all the time. There you go. <laughs> Damn, you just you just answered my question. I was, you know, so so test them throughout the year, and and why? Well, I, I mean, how would do you would you want your child to be measured on their academic achievement based on that one test score? That no, that... no, nobody wants to be judged on one day. Yeah. Because it's just, my God, it's so much pressure. That's why we hate it. It's so much pressure. It's also not accurate. You know, it's, um, we want to be, we want to get the whole picture of how we are. So do we want our students to feel that additional pressure of when they're going through all this right now? No, I think there should be some pressure. Things should matter, Mm -hmm. but it should also be realistic. It should be, you should want to hire, you should know the whole person that you're hiring. You shouldn't, know them just on that one performance on one day. Right. Um, but go ahead. I w- I, well, I think, you know, if in the big picture, and, and I know we have so many different disparities amongst our different student populations, but we know that the one big test for our, our students who are pursuing four-year universities is going to be the SAT or the ACT. And a lot of that is language-based and vocabulary-based uh, thinking and uh, um, and so how do we take all those skills that they can acquire and prepare them for that, that SAT and the ACT? That's the high stakes. And then we know in admissions, they look at the, their writing ability and that their writing is very focused and detailed. So if it's that problem statement, there's a lot that they pull from that problem statement. What's the problem statement? Is that, is that part of the SAT? Or is that just part of the um, You're sorry, your personal statement. Personal sorry, statement. Personal okay. statement. Gosh. Oh, right. that, that's where you write the essay about right. yourself, and then yes. they still do that, right? I'm pretty sure, right? Okay. And I think every university has their different way of approaching it. Okay. They could look at the report card, but I, what they always want to see is who do I have in front of me? Who is a student? And they're looking for the student who has overcome perhaps adverse situations. They're looking for the student who is very confident and knowledgeable of what they want in their pursuit of this degree at this university. They want to know that if they were to be admitted, that they could independently be motivated to work and study without, you know, there's the codependency of a bunch of people, that it, whether it's a university that's away from home or close to home. But then we also have our students who want to be the business owner. And so hence we have vocations. So we don't only want to look at just that four-year path. We also have vocations and that's our community colleges. What are the admission expectations for students who want to pursue a specific vocation? What do universities uh, say, take the UCs because those seem to be like the gold standard in California. I know UC Santa Barbara, UC San Diego, UCLA, all the, those are fantastic schools. What do they usually look at? Is it purely SAT, ACT and personal statement? Do they look at where you went to high school, what your grades were, do they look at personal recommendation? Like how much, I want to know how much is it, a, is it a factory or is it how it should be? Right, so that though they look at the CSU and the UC system look at your A through G requirements. That A through G requirements. Right, that you've taken four years of English, you've taken um, the four years of math, uh, that there is foreign language, that there is a PE in there or an extracurricular sport. Um, what electives are looking at your A through G. I can't, I, 
So they're looking at a bunch of things. They're looking at all the coursework. Okay, so it's not just that standardized test. Right. You need to have that coursework done. So, you know, okay. think about for the four-year of English, that AP, is AP, if AP English is on there on your transcript, then that adds a little more points to your okay. rubric. So you think of the students who already had uh, the academic path was against them, and they leave sixth grade, they go into middle school, they are already tracked for not being um, proficient in their English and writing skills, so they're put in intervention classes. They've now been removed from elective opportunities and put into more intervention classes. So they already have the system against them, and when it comes to their freshman year, most often than not, they're put in also those intervention classes unless they were able to close that reading and writing gap that they had. So if they're not entering a traditional freshman English class that ninth grade year, then they're already missing out on that first year to meet those A through G requirements. Okay. So there's a whole vertical yeah. system going on. Now, this is I'm speaking to traditional public school. Yeah. Right? Okay. Right. Let, but if you let parents who are knowledgeable of the A through G would know to advocate, no way is my child going to this intervention. You put them in that ninth grade English class. Now, uh, what if they need the intervention? Well, what then if you, they, how, is there a way to get a way around to do that? It. You find a way to do it outside of that English class. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's a takes, good lesson. It takes parents, they need to advocate, and a lot of parents don't. They are trusting that okay. the, their child's course schedule is it was really designed for that individual student. Well, then, yeah. Well, let's take a pause on that because the A through G requirement is what the universities look at in terms of public schools. Mm-hmm. And if your student gets caught in this intervention class, that goes on the record, they could get off track, which now you're trusting the bureaucracy to put them back on track, which may not happen. And that will harm their chances of getting into, into a good UC. So if you can at all, and they need help, get that outside help first, and then advocate for them to stay on that normal track if you can. Right. Wow. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's good because I think a lot of people would just trust the system to work for them, which <laughs> we, I mean, now I laugh at it. I laugh when you go, oh, well, Hey, there's a, the system is, people put the, they talk about the system, well, the systems, I put that in quotes. It's like, it's just people, the people are just making decisions. And if you just allow them to make those decisions, then right. it may not be right. what you want. If you want what you want, you've got to get out, get in there and do it. I, so I went into, this was a, this is really a disturbing one that I saw that, you know, we have our English language learners and the goal of English language learners is that when they leave elementary school, that they have been fully classified as English proficient, that they are no longer labeled as an English language learner. If they leave elementary school, go into middle school, and they are still designated as an English language learner, they go into intervention. Wow. Right? So I have gone into a pretty close to here, a a senior, it was actually a classroom full of 10th, 11th, and 12th graders that were in an intervention class for, uh, for learning English. Oh my God! For tenth, eleventh, and twelfth learning English, all in all in one classroom. Mm-hmm. Wow! Right? Yeah, that's too bad. Right. Um, let's just say I took Ortega Highway, went towards a little bit inland. That's yeah. where this area is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that the seniors in there, you know, who is speaking for them or advocating for yeah, them? Yeah, they have no way of of correcting it now. They're learning how to use a, 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 an academic term and to put it in a sentence. <laughs> Very basic stuff. Right. And, if, and it's not that they are new to the country. No. They've been in the system for years. They, 
Yeah. They've been in, yeah. the, in the middle school. They've been in the high school. They've been in the, like that whole system. Yeah. And here they are removed from a senior, traditional senior English class. And they're putting this intervention. Now, how are you feeling as a sophomore in a class like that with 12th graders? Yeah. What's your motivation level? Do you know what is happening? Do you yeah. know what this, what this is going to do and how it's going to affect you? If you had dreams of that four-year university. So you're saying the sophomore in the class with the seniors. I'm sorry, can you explain that? Like how, how, how would that hurt the sophomore? Are you are you really speaking up and participating quickly? Oh, I see it? what you're saying. Okay, yeah. So you have what's people, the motivation? Well, what's I, I the think that I think both of them are, are harmed. I mean, you have the 12th grader who is now it's almost like too little, too late because they're 95 percent of their high school experience is over and on record, and now they can't correct it and they can't get into the UC school. Then you've got the freshman or sophomore who's in there with them, who is probably just you know prepubescent and not confident enough to, to speak anyway. And so they're, they're intimidated. Mm -hmm. So they're in a class with kids who are, who are kind of dominant socially and they're not going to be able to learn either. So Mm -hmm. it kind of hurts everybody just in different ways. But, uh, but yeah, I wish there were just ways to get out of the system. Like a little off ramps would be nice. Like a little way that you can get off, get your, get your tutoring that you need and then you can get back on and it doesn't really hurt you. But it's like it's all on record now, and the, what's the, the university can't ignore it. Well, it's not. I wouldn't say off ramp. I would say that we now with with this disruption, the opportunity is that our students have all experienced online learning now. So how can we leverage this to support our, when our students go back into the classroom? How can we leverage this platform, online learning, for a student who needs that intervention that they could go on a Saturday if they yeah. were highly motivated? Yeah. Right. Stay true to that path for that for the uc csu system but we need to really strengthen your your writing skills so we'll see you saturday mornings or we see you at 7 a.m you log you're logging in with the teacher there well then yeah then you can do that part online that's what i think we can do and and this applies to all across uh career fields even for adults is that i'm hoping with uh with covid is that the benefit is we go okay we hate a purely online life. We hate purely working from home, but we don't have to be in person for everything. So let's find those things that we don't need to be in person for and use that. So you're getting your social emotional growth in a traditional environment, but then you get the, the extra help with the online and it, it could be the reverse as well. But Even the reverse is the AP classes. Yeah, yeah. You've already got kids who are disciplined, motivated, they don't need to drive 30 minutes into school and waste their whole day. They can get up on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and and sit focused for an hour in front of the computer. Like they don't, they're already good to go on most of this stuff. They just need to get the information. Wouldn't that have helped you too? Instead of having to get up early to go to AP in the morning or late, that yeah. you had water polo, you had to be at certain practices. You know, yeah. I had golf, and I was, you know, I'm at the golf course until five o'clock. Yeah, yeah. That if I'm already motivated, absolutely, I'll turn it on Saturday morning. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's the great thing about all this is that, uh, uh, yeah, we realize that online is not everything, but it's something. It's and, something. And let's, let's use that something um, in a way that is, is, is beneficial. I mean, I got my master's online and people kind of scoffed at that 15 years ago. But, you know, now everybody gets their master's. You don't need to have social interaction when you're 30 years old and, 
Um, I mean, not, not for that. You don't need to go to school for social interaction. You just need the information. You need somebody to correct your work and, and it needs to be convenient. Um, right. So, yeah. well, that's why that's to the point that if for my student teachers who got their masters in teaching online, it's that if, if people have that, if the naysayers say it's not effective, then what are they saying about your, your program? What worked with your program? Tell me all the details. And so I would have them really reflect on their experience so that they could say, how can this, what can we take of those best parts that worked from their experience? Now take it into that first grade classroom. Yeah. Right. Did you ever hear me speaking for three hours? I talked the entire time for three hours. You're like, no, what did I do? Like you, they would say you had a routine. We were in breakouts. So why would you have first graders and you're talking the entire time for three hours? Yeah, do they do that because that's what they do in person? I think we're just, it, it's more like we talk for three hours or however long online because that's what we did in person. And so it's just, we're just transferring what we learned there, but it's not working. Right. I mean, that, it's probably it, like those first graders were, that well, was funny it, it watching takes, those videos. That's it, it takes an investment of time to learn best practices for teaching online. And yeah. I haven't really heard of those great experiences of training that are happening out there. I know that I had an opportunity to train um, two private schools in August to go through it and they're, because they have more autonomy with what they can engage in for professional development. And there were a lot of just basic skill sets that we needed to cover. You know, How do you create content that's not live content and how do you create what you prepare when you go live in front of the camera with your students? I mean, those were very specific conversations that we had. And for one school, we were together for two days all day. So this, having a mindset and a lens for what you teach in online, it requires professional development to think differently about how you become more of a facilitator versus that teacher, that sage on stage. And what do you choose to use as those resources that will engage your students, that will keep them focused on what the objective is, and also take into consideration the families on the other end that should anything go wrong and a family has to come in and help out, that you're not going to catch parents off guard with what they with, with their skill sets are or are not. So, um, you know, that's like a year. I mean, I would say when we prepare universities, we go through a whole year process of training faculty of what they're going to teach, how they teach it, what it looks like, uh, and then um, honing in on the actual professor who would be delivering the content. It's a, it's, it's a whole planning process, and I commend all the educators out there who have just dove right in, have experimented with what works and didn't, didn't work, have really looked at, let me put more energy into making myself a very great online teacher versus the energy and what's not working and focusing on that because in the end we have students on the other end that need us and they need us they're getting this more than ever starting in January when we start to lose them because they're just there's fatigue and there's a fatigue across the board yeah well everybody yeah Yeah, everybody parents I mean we've got protests going on and we've got all sorts of all sorts of stuff I mean it's getting people are getting fed up man they're getting really fed up I mean I get I, I get all sides. I don't have kids, uh, but you know, I get the the concern about spreading a virus. I also get the concern about kids who are depressed. Um, 
man, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, the answer is other than having as many options as possible and having people trained. Um, but yeah, what's, what's happening in Long Beach now? You can just give me the brief. You don't need to give any bomb, uh, you know, you don't need to throw any big bombshells out there, but what's the overview of, I know Long Beach is having some. Well, also a fellow, uh, Dink, <laughs> dual income, no kid household. Oh, yeah. Right? We're dinks, right? Uh, I guess I commend the, our friends that we grew up with who are out there fighting to reopen Long Beach schools. And, yeah. And they are, um, you know, we never would have expected them growing up, but wow, they are fighting hard for their kids. And it's not just for their own kids. It's for the kids whose parents, uh, they don't have that voice. Yeah. For the communities that really... Um, we do have those pockets in Long Beach that are low SES and um, not a whole lot of opportunities. And yeah. so they're fighting for, for those kids as well. And we also have our special needs population, which our kids need direct services and, and support. So is any looking, of that open? Like are the, no. so everything's closed. And here we are here down in here in Orange County. We're they're in person. Oh, We're just, you know, a little County away. And yeah. they're in person. Damn. That's tough. Long Beach, man. You guys might have to secede and join. <laughs> I know. That's what they want. So join Orange where they... I don't know. That would be an interesting process. Right. Uh, oh, and so man. that's where the question is, is that you've lost a lot of student population for the parents who have the resources, pull them out and put them in private schools. Yeah. I think a lot of people will go to private schools. I've long been an advocate for that. Um, Having, uh, I like, I want to privatize everything, hell, but I mean, private schools are open, right? Like, they can't just shut those down, right? If they have a waiver, they are open. How do you get a waiver? You have to file for it. So, I don't know the details, but I know okay. that there was a waiver process. Okay. Is that through the state board uh, of education? Correct. Okay. The pr- so, through the state. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, good enough. So what's, what's, what's going on? So what's, um, what's next semester on your plate? What's, do you have any classes that you're teaching next semester? Same thing? Well, it was interesting, you know, when we thought enrollment was down, enrollment is booming. So I think we know when we have... For, for what? For, for at USC, right? So oh, when, at USC, when, okay. when there's job loss, people decide, well, I'm just going to go back to school. And go pursue, to school. Yeah, I'm going to go back to school. So yeah. full plate again in the spring, super excited because I learned a lot just by observing um, my students that I had this semester and what they need to be successful. And for me, I just continue to be responsive to all the individuals. I look at that's part of my impact in their lives is that, you know, this is the rewards of being an educator is that I'm now part of your professional journey. Uh, it's, you know, as you heard me close last night, it's not about goodbye. It's about see you later. I like that. Yeah. I've always been, I always hated goodbyes. Yes. I just don't like it. It's too permanent. See you later is a good one. Yeah. So it's see you later. Uh, and my inbox right now is currently with a bunch of drafts of, uh, or a bunch of uh, requests for letters of recommendation because uh, there are a lot of job opportunities now when, when there are certain educators who have a choice between retirement or sticking it out. They decide, you know what, I'm done. And they're, they're throwing in their chips this December. A lot of retirement's happening and my candidates are getting swooped up because they can go into an interview and again, they can, they can talk about, well, if I'm preparing for bricks and mortar, if I'm preparing for online and they're explicitly able to detail what it looks like. And I'm super proud and excited for them. And, um, so spring is again, full course load. 
we'll see what happens. I, you know, again, I'll, I'll always be mindful of what's happening in the current events of our world uh, because we also have to take that into consideration when it comes to the social emotional well being of not only our students but of the adults that are serving students. Yeah, it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's going nuts. But uh, you know, for myself, as you know, I also take care of myself, and I go and I hit the golf course when I need to get out, and yeah, and so I always make sure that even I model the balancing of your own personal well-being that, you know, I can't believe how many of my students, when I would just have a one-on-one conversation, when's the last time you went outside and took a walk? Yeah. You got to get out there. Right? Yeah. You got it. Well, your one of your students had that statement last night. She said, uh, you got to cut it off at a certain, I think she was one of the older ones. Mm-hmm. She's probably in her probably 60, 50 years or 60. She looks a little, looked a little bit older. And she said, look, you got to cut it off at a certain time because the career will just completely absorb you. Yes. You've got dozens of students, maybe more, who are going to constantly be seeking your attention and help, and that can bleed into after hours, and and um, many teachers have kids as well. And so yeah. the other student of yours said that teachers... Don't kids, give it all to your kids. <laughs> yeah, it don't give it all to your kids, but teachers, biological children, are some of the worst behaved because <laughs> the teachers devote so much time to their yeah. students, and so you have to cut that line or draw that line and adhere to it. And then you'll have a long, happy, successful career. And in the end, help out more kids. Right. I mean, it's an addiction. I, you know, that's the beauty of being an educator are the rewards that we have made a difference in every individual student that's crossed our paths lives. And whether it's from me being, like, as I shared earlier, a kindergarten teacher to a professor of doctoral students, they are all my students. And that's the rewards is that I get to celebrate their, endeavors, their, the new chapters, their, their life forward. And, um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So it's worth all the, you know, people say, Oh, you're a doctor. I said, I don't do blood. I do sweat and tears. (laughs) That's good. I do sweat and tears and, uh, to be part of their sweat and tears as they navigate what they need to do to be their professional best. I find it an honor that they turn to me to help them and guide them and, and think it through. Um, you know, part of me, it crossed my mind, like, gosh, do I want to go be a principal again? I'm like, no, 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 no. Because then it would take me away from all the individuals that I get to work with. So, um, until then, you know, I will continue to embrace the opportunities that I have in front of me. Uh, I will, I'll look forward to spring 21 being another one of those really, wow, how am I going to get through this semester moments? And, uh, and I guess, I guess it's just like us being the athletic, competitive spirit of ourselves. My game plan will be strategic. It'll be smart. And in the end, I hope that it'll be a win for everybody that I have in my class. Yeah. So what is that again? What's the statement about blood and sweat and tears? Can you say that one more time? Oh. Just, for, just for the cameras. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they say, oh, you're a doctor? You know, these are people who don't know. Oh, you're a doctor? I said, I don't do blood. I do sweat and tears. That's perfect. Okay, good. We got it on tape. That'll be your audiogram. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Jocelyn. Make it good. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Jocelyn, the, oh, my fiance, does I know all what the, else. Speaking yeah. of that, I know what my spring includes. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I know. You're going to be uh, in my wedding. I am a grooms'woman. Yeah, you're a grooms'woman. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so progressive like that. <laughs> One of your one of your uh, students mentioned that, like, oh, that's fair. I'm like, well, I don't. I didn't think about it like that. I was just picking my top four. <laughs> Colleen's my top four. Yeah, she's in there. I made the cut. No yeah, top I didn't, four. Didn't, 
Yeah, I just picked her for that reason. Anyway, but so um, yeah, so everyone yeah. needs to like wear a mask so we can get this wedding on the road. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, long time coming. This lo- this friendship, we're finally with yeah. a, a groomswoman, and with my objective is you are not going to cry. You are not going to cry. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> so I look forward to that. I think yeah. uh, you know when you have me out again, or when we do this again. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to talk about that because that'll be fun about that whole experience. But when you're, yeah, it's my best friend's wedding. <laughs> I know, I know. That's, that'll be, that's a big event this spring. Very yeah. big. I think we should make posters. <laughs> posters about the wedding? <laughs> yeah, no. Or we could make a... Or being creative. What I do know. we do during COVID? We get creative. There so. you go. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good way to look at it. Well, we're good. So we, we hit a lot of things in this just over an hour. This is nice. So we learned that... Um, inspiration can come from many different things. And when you have that one event that captures everybody's attention, you can use that as a springboard, as a springboard for many other things to teach your students. You can include everybody in that lesson and, um, focus on the social emotional thing as far as, uh, COVID and online learning goes. And we can take the good aspects of that and we can continue that in the future. And maybe it's not going to be online learning and in-person learning. It's just going to be learning, and we can, um, you know, have become, come out better on the, uh, the backside of this. So anything else? It's been pretty short and sweet. We can, we can have you on and whenever this is, this is easy. This is fun. I want to be a co-host when like the, like the, you know, well, you kind of are now. Like, You're the, like the little one, like I'm over there, like throwing sound bites. Like I want to get us there. So everyone needs to continue to download so we can get to that point. That we would are. be fun. Well, you, you had the, uh, <laughs> the record here. Your first one of, was my most downloaded. And then, um, until recently, I had a, another big one, but it's growing. The podcast is growing. I'm learning so much. Like I get to sit down for an hour or more, and I get to learn. So this is not purely like a altruistic thing by any means. Like I get to sit and and learn, and I can record it in the process, and hopefully other people will learn as well. So you know, there's there's audio, audio learning as well, but not just online and 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 in person. So anyway, well, uh, yeah, Doctor Colleen Rayburn, aka Colleen. My sister from another mister. <laughs> Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right. All right, folks. Uh, that's it for uh, episode Sweet 16 on the Great Crino Show. We will uh, pick it up again next time. Take care. Bye, on. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you like the show, please rate it and leave a comment on your podcast app. Also, please follow the show on Facebook and Instagram and share our posts with your friends. And finally, if you would like to contact us directly for comments or show ideas, you can email us at gregcrinoshow at gmail.com. Thanks, and see you on the next episode.